Thank you, Cindy. Invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and what he's addressing is issues that have been raised by Timothy. Paul's in Corinth, we believe, at this time. Silas is somewhere else. Paul's alone, and he's received now Timothy back. He, he wanted to go himself to Thessalonica, but he couldn't. He said earlier in this book, we see that there's hindrances, roadblocks have been put in the way. And he loved this church dearly. So he spent the first three chapters inspiring them. The last two chapters, chapter 4 and 5, he spends more with doctrinal issues. And I've used the word comfort, comfort in his return. How many of you have thought, don't raise your hand, you don't have to, but how many of you have thought with everything going on in the world, you're just already praying, Jesus, come. Well, he's coming. He's coming. The door just opened. That's not him. Seriously, the door, somebody just walked in. We're waiting on Jesus to come back, and it wasn't him. People are curious about the future. I remember as a kid, my parents, my dad, who grew up in a very rural setting, agricultural setting, used the farmer's almanac. Any of y'all remember that? I know some of y'all remember that. I had to have my tonsils taken out. They had to consult the farmer's almanac. Y'all remember this? To find out what the best time of the month was to have your tonsils taken out, the farmer's almanac would tell you that. But it would tell you ahead of time how much snow you were going to have, where it was going to fall, how much you are going to get in your area of the country. And I guess occasionally it was correct. I don't know. But there's also psychics. You know, you drive up and down, especially rural roads, and you'll see out front hands or a ball or something inviting you to come in and get your fortune told. I was walking out of a grocery store one time, and somebody, a psychic, had put her business card on my windshield, under my windshield wiper. And I looked at it, and I thought, well, this is odd. It was telling me all that she could predict about the future, but she had had to change her phone number. I thought, I'm not going to a psychic that didn't know her phone number was going to be changed. You're not much good at predicting the future. But we are preoccupied with the future. So if you're looking towards the return of Christ, it's in the future and it's closer than it's ever been. But it should be a time for us as believers for spiritual growth and evangelism. So what Paul writes is based on Timothy's visit and and his report back. Let me read the first few verses, verses 13 through 18. Then we'll pick up with chapter 5 in a few minutes. Paul writing, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So the first point is the comfort in knowing. Paul wanted them to have comfort. He wanted them to have peace tranquility. He didn't want them to be anxious, worried, depressed, stressed. And they apparently were wondering about the second coming. We're going to find out what was concerning them about the second coming in a minute. But there's a comfort in knowing. 
So what Paul is going to outline for them is, here's what to know the signs of the return of Christ are. Here's how it's going to happen. There's a comfort in knowing. Some of you are sports fans, and you can't watch the big game, and so you record the big game. Have you ever done that? Maybe it was a big football game, college football game, or a, or a basketball game, or a baseball game, so you record it. I have a friend of mine that records baseball games, especially if it's the St. Louis Cardinals. And he doesn't want you to tell him the outcome of the game if you talk to him. Hey, I haven't seen the game. Don't say anything about it. So he'll turn his phone off. He won't look at, at uh, text messages. And so you get home, and you finally got all your tailgate paraphernalia around you. You turn the game on, and all of a sudden, there's a the score. ESPN is doing a report, and you see the score. And your team won. So you watch the game anyway. And it's cool watching a game where you already know the outcome, right? You already know. Our team won. Even though my quarterback just threw an interception, my team won. Even though our pitcher just gave up a grand slam, our team won. So you can watch the game and watch it to the end if you're a true fan. Fast forward into commercials, of course, and maybe even through a bad inning that you know is coming up. Hey, fifth inning, don't even watch that. But we have a comfort in knowing, and that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I want you to know about the return of Christ. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Some translations say, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. And I can't hear that without thinking back to my seminary days. I was married in seminary, which was fortunate because the men in seminary would say, what do you call a pretty woman in seminary? Mrs. So they had a, they had a dormitory for the female students called Barnard Hall. And the male students lived in Fort Worth Hall. And one Christmas, the male students decided, we've got to get back at the girls. And so they went over to Barnard Hall and took the Christmas lights and strung it up so it looked like a Y and put it in between barn and ard, and it looked like barnyard. But the girls got them back by quoting this scripture right here by saying, I would not have you, ignorant brethren. <laughs> so Paul does not want them to be uninformed. He wants them to be informed. And here's the problem. False teaching leads to misinformation. You'll read in 2 Thessalonians where someone had sent a letter to the church at Thessalonica claiming to be from Paul, and it had upset them greatly. Well, I guess so because it was in error. It wasn't what Paul would have said at all. You'll find that in 2 Thessalonians. And here's one of the things they're concerned about is we know that Jesus is coming back, but people are dying. And they thought he was going to come back in their lifetime. I think Paul even thought, perhaps, because he keeps using the word we who are alive and remain, Paul may have thought he would be alive when the return of Christ happened. And so what's going on? If you're waiting on the return of Christ and your loved one has passed away, the thought starts going in your mind, well, maybe they didn't know the Lord. Maybe they weren't a genuine follower of Christ. Or maybe they're going to miss the day of the Lord. And when you have false teaching that's saying that's exactly what's happened, it is very upsetting. So Paul corrects that misunderstanding about those who are asleep. I love the fact he uses the word sleep. We're going to see the word death in a minute in this passage, but Paul uses the word sleep. Every time that word is used in Scripture, it's used of those who have gone on to be with the Lord. We don't believe in soul sleep. Some teach soul sleep. When you die, your body goes to sleep. Your soul and spirit are ushered where? Right into the presence of the Lord. So you're not laying in a grave somewhere waiting a thousand years on the return of Christ. You're in heaven with your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or you're not. So about those who fall asleep, sleep's never final, is it? It's always temporary. You end up waking up from sleep, and that's what these folks were waiting upon. So he says, so that you not grieve, literally be distressed or sad. 
the, here's what they're grieving over. Not only have they lost their family member or their loved one, they're grieving over that they're going to miss the return of Christ or somehow they had missed the day of the Lord. In fact, some of them are thinking maybe it's already happened. That was some of the false teaching going on in the church that has already happened. So that you would not grieve as those who have no hope. Paul is giving the church at Thessalonica hope. So when you even stand at a cemetery plot at a graveside and you're mourning, you're grieving, you're not grieving as a believer. If you know that person that's gone on to be with the Lord is now in the presence of God, we have grief, yes, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. It's probably my second year here. A lady walked into my office. She said, I'm so concerned for my father. He doesn't know the Lord, and I want to know what I can do about it. Well, in the process of conversation, it comes to my attention that her father has just passed away. And she's in my office just, and I don't blame her at all. She's thinking, I'm going to go talk to a preacher. Is there anything I can do for somebody who's now passed away, who I know did not know the Lord? She was grieving, real tears of grief, sadness, mourning. Because her dad, who she loved dearly, there was no hope. Now, I realize some have said, well, just pay me some money and I'll pray an indulgence. That went on if you didn't know that or not. In the Catholic Church, they had indulgences a few hundred years ago. It's the way priests became very wealthy. You come to your aunt, you know, if I had been in that situation, I said, well, donate $10,000 to the chapel and I'll see what I can do. I didn't do that. And it was, we had a very serious conversation, but I couldn't offer her a lot of hope. I could offer hope for herself, but I can't offer hope for somebody who's gone on to be with the Lord. But Paul can offer hope for those who knew Jesus and have gone on to be with the Lord. So don't grieve as those who have no hope. And then he uses that word if. This is not to sow a seed of doubt. This is sense. Because what I'm about to say is true, then the rest will follow. Paul points them back to the crucifixion and the resurrection. He says, if we believe. So in other words, if you've placed your faith in the fact that Jesus died, and there's the word died. That's not the word sleep. He uses a whole different word for the fact that Jesus died. And the reason Jesus died is the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23. But the rest of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, even so the Father will bring with him those who have gone to sleep. So here's the hope. The hope is, have you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that he died for your sins, you've accepted his forgiveness, and you believe he rose from the dead? What does Romans 10, 9 say? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's a good chance you're going to heaven. It, didn't, it doesn't say that. What does it say? You shall be saved. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So there's where the hope is. The hope is in the salvation that's been promised because Paul says, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, if you believe that he's been raised from the dead, then he will bring those with him who've fallen asleep in Jesus. And I love the fact he's back to using the word asleep. Hey, they're not ultimately dead. They're simply asleep. Their soul, their spirit is in the presence of God. And you can take comfort in that. You can take hope in that. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. We who are alive and remain, there's the word we. Paul's saying, I may be here. Now we know now he's not. So Paul's one of those that has gone to sleep. A couple thousand years ago, he went to sleep. But he's in the presence of Jesus right now, his soul and spirit. But one day he'll be reunited with an earthly, now a heavenly, resurrected body. Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those 
who have fallen asleep. So they're not going to miss out on a single thing. In fact, they're going to rise first. One of the reasons they're going to have to rise first is they've got six further feet to go. So they're going to rise first. Listen, 23 out of the 27 books in the New Testament mention the return of Christ. We can take certainty that Jesus is coming again. So there's comfort in knowing. And here's the process. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. I love that. The Lord himself will descend from heaven. He's not going to send the archangel. He's not going to send an emissary. He's coming himself. In fact, if you remember Acts chapter 1, when Jesus says, you're going to receive power, you're going to be my witnesses, wait in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit's come upon you. He taught them in Acts chapter 1, and then he ascends. And it says a cloud took him out of their sight. Well, what do the men do? What do the disciples do? They're still standing there going, well, he said he's coming back. And two angels stand beside him, and what do they say? Hey, why are you staring into the sky? Jesus has already told you what to do. He said you go back to Jerusalem and wait. And you know what you're waiting for. And you're going to be his witnesses. You're going to receive power of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And then they said this same Jesus is coming back just like that. He was taken up into the cloud. He's coming back in the cloud. And he's going to take us up to be with him so that we will always be with the Lord. So the first thing is he's coming with, he's coming himself descending from heaven. He's coming with a shout. A cry of incitement, a word of command. It's like a military general saying to his troops, fall in, a shout. The voice of the archangel, again, a tone, a language of saying, and the trumpet of God. You're going to hear the trumpet blast of God. I don't know what you picture when you hear the word trumpet. It may be you're thinking of a brass instrument that you blow into that has three vowels on it. I played one of those in elementary school. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about the shofar. Some call it chauffeur. Howie, what do you call it? Chauffeur or shofar? I like chauffeur because chauffeur is the dude that wears the hat and drives around in a limo. But some call it chauffeur, shofar. Have you all ever seen one? Did somebody bring one with them this morning? Because you come to worship. Howie, where's your shofar? All right, how long would it take you to go get it? We'll wait. Hustle. Anybody did y'all bring a shofar with you? It's a ram's horn. It, it's a blast. And the reason it would be blown is to say, gather up. Something important's about to happen. I've been in Israel at the Western Wall when they're having bar mitzvahs. And they'll have men out there with these long shofars blowing. They're hard to blow. But the synagogue probably would have had a shofar. Certainly would have had scrolls in a closet. Let me see. Hold on a minute. Anybody looked in these closets lately? Well, looky there. There just happened to be. You never know where you're going to find a shofar. <laughs> Y'all ever seen one of these? All right, the bravest thing I've ever done on Sunday morning at the chapel is try to blow this. So I'm going to take the microphone down. If Paula and Bill are in children's church, this is going to scare them to death. Come on, Casey. You have to use the side of your mouth. You don't blow this like a trumpet here. It's kind of at the side. So it may take me a minute to find the spot. Be patient. This is going to be briefer than 12 hours it will take him Howard to go get his. Hard. Did, not, did I not tell you that's hard to do? Let me try one more time. James, see if anybody's running out of children's church. 
It's going to sound better than that when Jesus comes back. <laughs> it ain't going to be, you know. I can do better blowing on the top of a Coke bottle, but anyway. So the trumpet of God, used for feast, used for celebration, used in military to call the troops, is going to be a trumpet blast. And I think that's what it's going to be. In fact, it's probably going to be bigger than that. And then what's going to happen? The dead in Christ will rise first. Paul didn't know it at the time, but he's talking about himself. Those who've gone on to be with the Lord in spirit and soul are going to be reunited with resurrected bodies, and they're going to meet Jesus in the air. And then we who are alive, who are alive and remain will be caught up with them. So they're going to go on to meet Jesus in the clouds ahead of us. We're going to meet them. Now, what that's going to look like, I don't know. I've seen artist renderings where we're all going to just take off from earth. Or it could be we just appear in the clouds. I'm not sure. But we're going to meet Jesus in the air. So always be with the Lord. And then he closes this chapter by saying, so comfort one another with these words. The word that you're being comforted with is whether you're alive and remain or whether you've gone on to be with the Lord, you're always going to be with Jesus. Isn't that comforting? Doesn't that take away the stress, the anxiety that I can't imagine somebody that doesn't know the Lord, especially when they experience death of a loved one? What goes through their mind? There is no hope. But there is hope for those who are in Jesus. Now here's where it gets controversial. Chapter 5, verse 1. What has happened? Because he's about to talk about the day of the Lord. So some would teach you that what Paul's talking about, the whole thing is the day of the Lord. Others would talk about, well, this is going to happen before the tribulation. And so the church being up in the air with Jesus, the big question is, where do they go from there? They meet Jesus in the clouds. Did they go to heaven and wait on a seven-year tribulation period and then return for the millennial kingdom? Or do they turn right around after meeting Jesus with the air and usher him back to earth? I'm voting for the first one. And part of the reason I'm voting for that, there's good evidence of that, but it's also I'd a whole lot rather the church not be here, and you're going to find out in a minute, we're not destined for wrath. So I don't want to lose friends because some of you are like, no, 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 I'm post-trib. Well, good, good for you. I'm on the first bus. <laughs> Howard, which bus are you going to be on? Howard, do you normally get picked on this much in church? <laughs> Well, we love you, Howie. So let me read verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5. Now, the word now is used when Paul's changing the subject a little bit. Now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, now, brethren, as of the times and epochs, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety... Then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, 
we will live together with him. Therefore, there it is again, encourage one another and build up one another just as you're already doing. So now, brethren, as to times or epochs, as to the chronologically, in other words, according to the watch or the clock or epochs, the seasons, you don't have any reason to ask the question for that. You already know. In fact, the disciples asked the same thing. When Jesus talked about the return of Christ, the disciples said, what's going to be some signs? What, what can we hang our hat on that we're looking for? And Jesus says, only the Father in heaven knows. When he's finally going to say, our place is ready, and he's going to say to Jesus, go get your bride. That day is coming, and it's coming soon. We may be alive for it, or we may be like those who've gone on to be with the Lord who will be resurrected with new bodies and meet Jesus in the air. But then the day of the Lord occurs. So you don't have anything. You've already been given this information. You don't have anything to be written to you. But the day of the Lord, biblical term indicating future judgment of God on the wicked, will come like a thief. See, thieves don't call you and tell you, I'm going to break into your house tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning, do they? They don't call and say, when you're at work tomorrow at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to come through acting like I'm a door-to-door salesman. I'm going to break into your house, and I'm taking your flat screen. They don't do that. Thieves come when you're not aware. Thieves come when you're not looking. If they gave you notice, what would you be doing? You'd be standing at the front door waiting on them. You'd have somebody at the back door waiting on them. Break out the shotgun, Martha. We're ready for them. But he's going to come like a thief who doesn't warn you that they're coming. And here's what they're going to be saying. The they, those who aren't followers of Jesus Christ, are going to be saying two things, peace and safety. They're going to be saying, hey, all is well. It's tranquil. We're at rest. These are good times, times of prosperity and times of safety, literally security or certainty. In fact, some are going to be saying to the folks in Thessalonians, Jesus, if he was going to come back, he'd already come back by now. And you can certainly hear this now 2,000 years later, people saying, you people that believe Jesus is coming back, if he was going to come back, he'd come back now. And yet Paul says, don't count his slowness in coming as anything other than he's not willing that any should perish. So he's not slow. He's right on time. We just don't know the exact day, the exact time. But you, they will not escape. They're not going to be able to flee. The tragic result is they're not going to be able to flee divine judgment. Once the wrath begins to fall, it's too late. But you're not in darkness. He he kind of contrasts day people with night people. You're not in darkness. You're in the light. Jesus is the light of the world. He's asked us to walk with him in light. You trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. The light has been ushered into your life. Let it shine. So those who sleep don't sleep as those who have no hope. Let us not sleep as others. Don't let the end-time confusion distract you from present-day living. Let us be alert, literally watchful, vigilant. It's the Greek word Gregorio. Anybody here named Greg? We have a Greg. The name Greg means alert, vigilant, watchful. We should have had a Greg here. Anybody want to change their name? Anybody's middle name Greg? Anybody know anybody named Greg? Thank you. There we go. So let us be alert. Let us be Gregs and sober to abstain from excess. You can't be alert if you're not sober. And that's what people of the dark do. That's what people of the night do. They medicate their pain with alcohol and intoxicants that keep them from being in their right mind. And so they're not sober, they're not alert, they're not awake. They do their sleeping at night, they do their drinking at night. They're indifferent. 
The thought of Christ coming back is something that if they did cross their mind, they've already put it out of their mind. They're not going to be ready. Like the unwise bridesmaids that Jesus told a parable about. But us, let's focus on us. We have put on the breastplate of faith and love. Breastplate, military term, protecting the vital organs, protecting your heart. And he calls it the breastplate of faith and love. Faith, moral conviction, reflects confidence. If you know that you know that you know, your heart's settled. You put on a breastplate of righteousness, breastplate of faith and love. And a helmet, the hope of salvation. Again, what our thinking is, we put a helmet of our hope. The hope in Christ is like a shield guarding our mind because we know that we know that we know. If you were to die tonight, you'd be ushered into the presence of Jesus. So there's comfort in being ready. And then last, there's a comfort in salvation. Last three verses, 9, 10, and 11, Jesus, Paul says, God has not destined us for wrath. That's not what you've been appointed to. That's not what you've been placed to. If you're a child of God, wrath is off the table. We may experience the discipline of the Lord. In fact, it's a good thing if you do because it indicates you're his child, right? God disciplines those whom he loves. Now, I'm not telling you to go do something just so you can experience God's discipline, but you probably have. But that's way different than wrath. We have not been destined for wrath. We have not been appointed or placed for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. The word salvation means rescue or safety. Here's what happens at salvation. Three things happen. Number one, justification takes place. Sounds like a hard-to-understand theological word, but somebody said justified means just as if I had never sinned. Well, it's even better than that. You're righteous before God. It's just as if you'd always done everything right. You stand before God justified. It took place the day of your salvation. You are justified. You're just like Jesus in God's eyes. He sees the righteousness of Christ applied to your life. You're justified. Second word is sanctified. Sanctification, again, sounds like one of the hard-to-understand words. This began at salvation, but it continues on through your life. It's God making you look more like Jesus. That's what sanctification is. And then the third word is glorification. Glorification is future. Justification is past with continuing results. Sanctification is current. Glorification is we're going to see Jesus one day, and we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye to be just like him. Are you looking forward to that? Amen. So we've been destined to obtain salvation through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, let's close out the passage with the therefore. Because all of this is true. Because Jesus is coming for the church. Because Jesus is coming with wrath. Ultimately at the day of the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. Encourage one another. Same thing that he mentioned back in chapter 4, end of chapter 4. Encourage each other. How do we encourage? We have hope. Jesus is coming. That's a yay God moment. And we're going to be with him forever. So encourage one another, which includes the idea of strengthening as well as consoling, and build one another up. It literally means to be a house builder. Same word that Jesus used when he said to Peter, bingo, Peter, when Peter declared he was the son of God. Jesus says, because of that faith, that's the foundation that I will build my church. Jesus is in the process of building his church. And so we as the church are in the process of building one another up. It means to edify 
remember as a kid, our youth minister was trying to teach us, let's edify. We had a retreat, edify. So we'd go around saying, edify, idiot. That's not a good idea. That's tearing somebody down while you're trying to build them up. But therefore, because all of this is true, because Jesus is coming, because we're awaiting a Savior, because we're securing our salvation, build one another up. Because there's going to be people in the church that are going through tough times. There's going to be people who know they're a Christian, but they're, they're hearing the voice of the enemy or they're hearing doubt. They just need to be encouraged. So encourage one another just as you are doing. Three last thoughts. What's God called the church to? God's called the church to comfort others. So the first thing we need to be doing as believers is comforting, encouraging, edifying one another. He's also called us to evangelize. Now's the time to go to those folks who have no hope and tell them the story of Jesus. Tell them what Jesus done for you. Tell them the fact he died on a cross to pay the penalty for their sin, rose from the dead, conquering death. And because of that, we have hope of resurrected bodies. And last, there's a limited time for impact. The days are running out, church. It's not time to be complacent. It's not time to be indifferent. It's time to tell people the good news because you know the good news if you're a child of God. Let's pray together.